You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. into the Word of God this morning in 2 Timothy. Now, 1 and 2 Timothy were letters written by a very famous Christian named the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of what we have and called as the New Testament. Uh, He wrote this shortly before he's executed uh, around 67 AD, and it was written to a young pastor named Timothy who had been ministering in the churches in the area of Ephesus for a number of years. And Timothy was a bit of a protege of Paul's. And the letter to Timothy, the second letter particularly, sheds light on the state of the church in that day before the death of Paul. And it brings to us, and it brought to Timothy, final instructions for faithfulness in what will become the absence of the most significant figure, uh, maybe in Christendom, outside of Christ, Paul, after he dies. And so he gives instructions, but he also brings warning about what the world is going to be like. He teaches us about false teachers in the church. And then he brings us wisdom for all Christian believers in that age and and in our age today. And so it's of great worth to us to study it. So let's go to it. But first, let us pray that God would reveal it to us. Lord, we come before you fully confessing, Lord, that we need your scripture. We need your word. Uh, Lord, we we don't often um, make work of studying it and uh, devote enough time to understanding it, but Lord, will you use this morning to bring conviction where it needs to be? Spirit, will you bring these words to life in our hearts? Will you bring uh, gladness and joy where we need it, Lord? We trust you in all things, and we pray this in the beautiful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So this is a bit heavy, all right? So we're going we're gonna to read this, and we're going to break up a few times. We're going to end up in chapter 4, and so let's journey together. Chapter t- 3, verses 1 through 9 here. But understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and lead, led, lead astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, it doesn't take too long, does it, when we scroll through our news cycle and maybe through our social media feeds to to sort of observe some trends and conversations and events that might seem a bit troubling to us. We seem to maybe believe that the world is on the precipice of a great explosion that many of you, including myself, have wondered out loud, like, are things about to break? These days are perilous, are they not? 
for all that live in this world, but particularly today we talk about those who are the people of God, those who cling to God's word and to faith in Christ. Culture seems to be running against long-season doctrines of faith and living, even challenging the very nature and purpose and design of creation. And I wonder how many of you have been like me and wondering, has there ever been a more contentious time to live? The Apostle Paul seems to say, there's always been a measure of difficulty to being a person of God, to a believer in God. Now, we might read that phrase that he wrote in the last days, and we might bring uh, some different ideas that maybe what, than what Paul means. We sort of read that and sort of believe that as difficulty increases, it will bring on the last days. That as things get more difficult for people, then these last days will begin. But Paul isn't conveying that to us. What Paul is saying that this is that this is the last age, that in these last days is a period of time between the ascension of Christ and the ultimate glorious, glorious return of Christ. And so it's a, it's a short period, or not a short, it's a period of time between Christ leaving and Christ coming again. And he's saying that in that period of time, look, the people of God are going to have lots of difficulty. And so we have to remind ourselves, because this is, I need to remind myself of this, that there have been many perilous days for the people of God, and there have been many days that people have wondered out loud, is this the end? Is this everything going to break? From the Roman persecution to all the events in Europe that led to the pilgrimage of people leaving Europe to come to America to escape religious persecution. I mean, for example, in 1641, uh, there were over 100 Protestant believers in Christ who were marched by their Catholic capturers to a bridge over the River Ban and ported down Northern Ireland. And there they were stripped naked, forced to jump off a bridge to their own death by sword. And any who survived were shot. And then we can just look at the colonial times were Baptists, like Baptists, like people that we know, Baptists, were imprisoned and tortured for not paying a tax that would pay for the teachers in the congregational churches in their towns that were under the Church of England. And so what happened is that women and widows and children and farmers were tortured, and they were imprisoned and prevented from even gathering simply because they were Baptists. And so great difficulties has always been the reality for those who love God. We have been used in our time to a measure of ease within our lifetime, an ease in believing in Christ. But that has been more of a blip on the radar than it has been the norm for the people of God. And so what I want you to hear today is that we are in these last days, that it's not prophetic Like, this is scriptural. It's true. We are waiting on Jesus. The contention for us, the challenge for us, is how will we wait? Because we can spend a lot of time and energy being very angry at the world, a lot of time and energy discerning the signs and events and trying to figure out when it's going to happen, or even spending our time dwelling in passivity, saying, oh, I guess it's going to happen. But the final instructions that were given to us by a man that is regarded maybe as the greatest of all who followed Jesus was this. His instruction to us in 2 Timothy are basically this, that in times of perilous nature, in perilous times, we keep precious and preach the word. That is the summation of these, this chapters. In perilous times, we keep precious and preach the word. It's that simple. 
And so as we look at the beginning of chapter three, I'm not going to sit here and expound or exposition its contents. I, I want, it, want to use it to say that this is where we are. These aren't days in the future. These are days now. It doesn't take much imagination to look out in the world and see people as lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and so forth. It is easy to see that in our world. Instead, we as the people of God, the redeemed people in Christ, we need to focus on who we are and how we live. The one who God has partnered with to cultivate redemption in this world, to display light and hope to the world in this brokenness and fallenness. 2 Timothy verse 10 says this to Timothy. He says, you, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at, at Iconium, and at Lystria, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. From them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, the you, however, you, however, it denotes a different reality. Paul is saying to Timothy, you are in this world, but you are not like this world. You're not corrupted. You're not foolish. You're none of those things. Why are you none of those things, Timothy? Because you believe the truth and you follow it. Timothy, like us, follows Christ the one that Paul so painfully and faithfully taught him as a mentor in many years in chains and bondage. Now notice here how Paul sort of credentials himself. What reasoning does he give to Timothy for him to endure with faithfulness to what he had taught him? I think this is very important for you and I to notice this. It's in the manner in which Paul suffered for the truth that reveals the worthiness of his truth. It is suffering that highlights and reminds Timothy to keep going. It is his suffering for Christ that keeps one in this world from being corrupted and hardened and swayed by the passions of this world. Paul was hated in Antioch. He was actually thrown out of the city. He was nearly stoned to death in Iconium. And then in Lystra, he was actually stoned and left for dead with Barnabas. The sufferings of Paul are what elevate the worth of his teaching. Paul was so devoted to Christ, so faithful to his teaching, that he endured humiliation, rejection, torture, and eventually his own death. It isn't that Paul never wavered in the truth of God amidst all of his sufferings that reveals how trustworthy his doctrine is. And look, I don't think that's what we would expect from him today. I don't think that if we wanted Paul to show the gravity of how real and true what he believes in, that we would ask him for things like that. We, we We would want him to show us why we should trust in him, why we should follow his truth, why his truth will bring wonderful benefits for our life. But did you notice what Paul didn't say here? Like, Paul didn't say, like, hey, do you remember how full those auditoriums were and the number of people that came to see me? Do you remember the thousands of people that came to know Christ because of what I did? Do you remember all the churches that I planted around the Mediterranean and all the leaders that I developed in those churches or all the people that were baptized or the status of the people that came to visit me to hear what I had to say? No, Paul doesn't boast in any of that. He doesn't boast in any success. 
He boasts of Christ through suffering. And here's why I think that's important for us to hear today. It's because you and I are raised in a culture where what is real and true is revered by how well something works. Does it work? Can it make me happier? Can it make me thinner? Can it make me prettier? Can it make me stronger? Can it make me healthier? What are its benefits for me? If I tell you the next time you have a flat tire to go outside and bark like a dog, dance like a chicken next to your flat tire, telling you that it will inflate instantaneously, there would be a day that you would come back to me and say, thank you for the embarrassment. I did that in the middle of traffic. And you will tell me then it didn't work. In other words, it's not true. It didn't work. The proof is in the results. And look, this is how we govern our lives. Does it work? Did it bring me the results that I hoped for? Which means that for us, to have faith in Jesus can often be based upon how well he's worked in giving us what we want. We see Christ as true or if he makes us feel better about ourselves. To give us a measure of happiness and joy. We see Christ as truer if he blesses us with comfort and ease. If he protects the people that we love. We deem Christ effective and true because he's worked in my life. His success in changing our demeanors, our outcomes, our habits. Keeping us from harm and those that we love from harm prove his validity. That is what makes him worthy to follow, we say. But is that what Paul is saying? It's not. He's saying that we live by faith. We don't live by sight. Faith not that we hope it's true or faith that we're searching and weighing the evidence of its effectiveness in our life. No, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It is to say it's true, that God is true. He is true even if I can't touch him. He's true even if I can't feel him. He's true even if I don't get what I want in my life. Our God is true, whether or not we feel like it, whether or not he gives us the outcomes in our lives. God is nearer the laws uh, that govern the universe than he is anything else. Often, the laws of the universe are only felt when we deny them. The laws of thermodynamics, the laws of physics, the laws of gravity. Try walking off of a building, not believing in gravity. You will feel the consequences of your denial. What Paul seems to tell us here is that God is seen in evidence through a world that denies them in the emptiness of living, in the fragility of life, we see a world denying what is true. We notice it. And if it's true, it means that we should suffer for it. It means that we don't get what we want, that it's worth a measure of discomfort. It's so true that we're even willing to be mistreated, judged, jailed, and possibly even killed for it. Listen to Paul here. He said, indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here's some alarming truth. Paul is saying in these last days, things are going to go from bad to worse, move from bad to worse. That is the reality of a broken world that has denied God. I want you to think of it this way. Maybe I can explain it this way. When someone lies, often to keep their story straight, they will say other lies to, not so, to be not so obvious that they lied in the first place. 
And that means that they have to keep track of all of their lies that they've used to cover up their initial lie to perpetuate a story that is untrue. And, And so what happens is they just keep lying to cover up more lies and then lies. And eventually, one comes to a place where they're no longer able to discern the truth. They actually begin to believe their lies. Maybe you've met somebody and they go, well, how did you believe that? That is what the world is like, what Paul is saying. That sin is so devastating that it creates ripples effects. It creates realities where our sin creates other sin. And those sins create new sins. And then the next generation builds off the reality that was shaped by those sins. And it just gets worse progressively. But many people have come to an age and a place where they no longer believe that they're deceived. That they actually believe that they know the truth. It is derived from a world that is constantly pursuing what, is, what works in their life versus what is true. What brings results in my life that moves them from one hope to the next to find it. It's a culture that becomes like Paul wrote here at the beginning. Lovers of self and lovers of money, unholy, all those things. When we replace what is true with what works, all chaos, all sorts of chaos ensues. We, we desperately want to find what works, but what we really need is what is true. And so what we are saying as a believer in Christ is that we have found our treasure, is that we found salvation, that we have found our hope, and we are anchored here, that we're not going to move by the callings of the world. We're not going to be moved by the pursuits of the people in this world because God has given us what is true, which means for the godly, all the godly, as it says, all who desire to live a godly life, we will be laughed at, mocked, rejected by those in the world that love the world because we're different. And that difference can be painful. We don't find our hope in things. We find our hope in God. And we suffer for his name. Now, that doesn't mean that we always suffer. There's immense joy in our lives. It just means as those who trust and love God, we are different than the world. You can't claim truth in this world that is increasingly deceived and try to love it and redeem it through Christ and not be harmed and belittled and mocked. And so listen to what Paul contends for us here in verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned And I firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul is saying, keep precious the word of God Continue to learn about what we believe. Study what we believe. But he's saying, knowing, we also have to know who we are learning it from. Now, Paul is speaking of himself in this context. He's saying, Timothy, don't you remember the conviction in which I brought this to you? Don't you remember the way that I suffered to bring the message to you? Don't you remember the love and the graciousness that I taught you this with? It's important that we learn Scripture well, but it's also important that we are taught Scripture well. All of us in this faith journey have been influenced. All of us. What has that influence been? 
Has it been from teachers and believers that want to convey to you a Christianity that works? Pragmatic steps to find greater faith and power and results and money? Or does it come from humble followers of Jesus that love God and love his word and are willing to endure suffering for the name of Christ? Because it doesn't matter how well it works in our life if we first and primarily don't love God with all of our hearts, soul, strength, and mind. If we don't make God the biggest entity, the most important thing in our life, all of what we do, all that works will be dead works. Timothy had been raised in a home that kept the scripture primary. His parents passed down a tremendous heritage of faith. The sacred writings that Paul refers to are the Old Testament. Those writings, the Old Testament, actually point us to Jesus. They point us to having faith in the Messiah Christ. And then he turns and says, all scripture. Now he's saying something different here. He's including the Old Testament, but he's including other things. Paul knows that God is bringing a new word into the world. And it is being revealed through the apostles and the disciples in the first century. A new testament, you could call it. And what is the source of that scripture? It's not the hand of Paul. It's not the hand of Peter or any other writer of the New Testament. What is the source of that new word? It was breathed out by God. Now, there will be many who object to that, who laugh at the claim of somebody saying that their writing was inspired by God. I mean, any lunatic or nut could make that claim. Why are we to believe Paul here? Well, I like what David Guzik writes in his, tim- his commentary on 2 Timothy. I want to read this for you. He says, and to the critic who claims anyone could write a book and say that it's inspired by God, we simply say, please do. Write your book. Give it every claim of inspiration, and let's see how it compares to the Bible in any way you want to compare it. We invite the smarter critics of the Bible to give us another Bible, something more inspired, something with more life-changing power. The great critic or professor or skeptic is surely smarter than Galilean fishermen 2,000 years ago, having all the qualifications, all the culture, all the brain power necessary. It should be easy for them to write something greater than the Bible, but of course, this is impossible. There is no equal to the Bible, and there never will be. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. What can compare to the Bible? There is no book like it in its continuity and consistency. There is no book like it in its honesty. There is no book like it in its circulation. There is no book like it in its survival. There is no book like it in its influence and life-changing power. This is why we keep the word of God precious, because it is the wellspring of life. They are the very words that God breathed out for us, and we need them, and we need them now. Words that bring us hope and conviction, clarity and reasoning, that guide us, that renew us, that nourish and correct us, that move us from passivity into a life of faith. So the question is, is like, do you keep the word precious? Do you love it? I mean, I think in our day, It's pretty easy to profess conviction about something with very minimal effort. We can, at a mouse click, claim to be warriors of various social justice causes. We can claim truth and be enamored with it by simply putting something on Facebook without ever having to live it, without ever having to endure any cost of believing it. And so when I ask, Do you keep the word precious? Do you? Do you read it? Do you study it? 
Do you love it? Do you have humble teachers who walk with you? Is our conviction that the word is true, not just in our rhetoric? Do we just say it, but don't live it? Friends, we must live it. You must read it. You must study it. Or this world that denies God will sweep us away. And in chapter 4, Paul turns his focus on Timothy the follower to Timothy the teacher, the one who will bring the message of Christ to the world after he lives, after he dies. He says this in chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul says, in the light of the one who gives us the word, the one who is the judge over everything, preach the word. Paul is reminding Timothy that All scripture is inspired, and all scripture will be what we are held accountable to. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word, not a word, Timothy, not some words, not your words. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word, in every season and circumstance that you can imagine. Preach the word out of season in every situation that you can never imagine. Never stop preaching the word. Preach the word. Don't disguise it. Don't muddle it. Don't make it about what works. Preach it because it's true. It's the living word of God. It is the hope of people. It is the guidance for God's people as the Spirit brings it to life in our hearts. Preach the word, Timothy for yourself, that you don't go off the rails. Preach the word even when it costs you. Preach the word even when people hate you. Preach the word even when your attendance is low. When people want you to make it cool. Preach the word even if they're not listening. Preach the word believing that God changes the heart of men, not the words of man. And be gracious and patient, loving, but by all means, preach the word. Paul contends to you, keep precious the word of God in this perilous time. And he contends to me and everyone who would teach the word to preach the word. And he gives us a warning that there will come in our day some who will claim to be teachers, who will try to make your faith, the the word, more relevant, more cool. They will try to tell you how to use it to make it work in your life. And he's saying, be careful. Because they'll take their cues from culture. And they'll understand what people want. And they'll teach the word in a way to give people what they want. Preach the word. So today is a necessary reminder. As we start 2023, 
of the necessity of us to hold precious the word of God. Not in our rhetoric, but in our life. Because I want you to understand, believer, that the word of God didn't come to you today in this room. Because some cool guy in AD 100 made it really relevant and popular. No, the word of God came to you because people suffered and died. So you could read it and know it. That you would know the love of God. And for me, a conviction to preach the word. Maybe you've noticed around here that we have changed a little bit of our rhythm. That we're not crafting alluring four-week sermon series around or revolving around human needs or practical applications. We have focused ourselves on studying the word of God. We don't start with a theme, then scour the scriptures to find ways to make it true and good. And we start with the scripture and we ask, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? And that will be our rhythm going forward. We will preach the word. It is a great conviction of mine, and I have to admit there are times that I've not preached the word, that I've preached a word or my word, but it is the word that is the wellspring of life for the believers in Christ. And so hope today is this, that in these perilous times, God has given us his word, and it is the joy of our life. Do we know it and love it? Will we revere it and read it? Or we would just use rhetoric to say that we believe it, but never live it. Would you pray with me? Father, it is so easy to be swept away in this culture. It is so easy to be influenced by people who have great followings, who sell great numbers of books, who have a large brand, whose attendance is thousands upon thousands, Lord, who contend to us all the ways that they should follow what they say as we are enamored by their success. But Lord, you confront us with a gospel that was brought to us through suffering, through a believer in Paul who says, Timothy, follow me. Follow me because I have suffered for this truth. And so Lord, as we move into a season of unpredictability, We don't know what the world will bring us. We don't know how this world's going to change and what it brings to us. Lord, will you bring into us a love of your word? Will you make it come to life? Spirit, Holy Spirit, bring these words to life for us. Christ, we're grateful for you, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for coming and dying for us and redeeming us. We love you and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.